We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz, presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Fay. With me, as always, the Australian great Jack Manuel and special guest, Pete Toll. What's up, guys? Oh, nothing much. Just glad that you guys have me on here and ready to talk some Brooklyn Nets. Man, I listen to Pete and Keith's podcast, the NBA Front Office. It's just... I, it, it's finally, it's just awesome to finally actually interact with these sort of people that I've become. It's, it's, I'm fanboying out a little bit. Sorry, <laughs> Pete. I, it's it's a bit weird for me here. Yeah, definitely hey, awesome. Nothing, nothing, you know, it's yeah. an honor to get some great insight on the Nets, provide a little bit of different spice from Jack and I. Before we get started, just always a quick reminder: you can check out the show on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, and YouTube. But uh, first question, you know, we'll get right into it. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is a question that Nets fans want to hear. You know, they want to know what areas the Nets need to improve to make the playoffs, or are the playoffs completely out of uh, out of reach. Um, I think for this year, in my honest opinion, I think the playoffs might be out of reach, but not by far. Um, I think that the main, you know, point for me, number one, is they have to stay healthy, um, especially D'Angelo Russell, who I know we're going to talk on a little bit more, uh, you know, later on, but. That's first and foremost is, is staying healthy, buying into Kenny Atkinson's system, him being a key develop, player development guy previously with the Hawks and um, some overseas ventures and things like that. It's key to bringing out the best in the Nets team. So just buying into that system is number two. Uh, number three for me is the consistent shooting percentage. Uh, you know, they didn't shoot it horrible, but they weren't the greatest either last season. And that really helped their rebounding numbers. And so I think that this year, if if D'Angelo Russell can come in and engage, you have Joe Harris on the perimeter. Uh, you have the two draft picks this year as well who can actually shoot the three ball. I think that'll help um, get more consistent shooting, but it may not help the, the rebounding numbers. But if there is a rebounding need, you have Ed Davis there who is, you know, really phenomenal in that area. So that and 
for me, the last point would be improving the turnover percentage, trying to get in the top 15th, um, you know, per, you know, for the league, because they were around what 22nd, I think in turnovers, yeah. um, last season, which, you know, isn't the bottom of the league, but it's not really one where you want to be as far as a, uh, potential, you know, playoff team, so to speak. Yeah. In terms of the perimeter numbers, Nick, last year, I and, and Pete, last year we were 11th worst in the league. I did a piece for the NBA Analysis Network on um, sort of one of the three key areas for us to improve. And Pete basically he either read my article or I, I, <laughs> I read his thoughts and sort of put it into a piece. Uh, our mark last year was at 35.7%, you know, 19th in the league. We put up the second most in the league as well. Now, Pete, what do you think that number needs to get towards? Or where do you think for the Nets to make the playoffs? Do they need to be top 10? Do they need to be top 12? Uh, do they need to shoot 37% from the perimeter? Is there a certain number that sort of, you know, sh uh, shines out for you? For me, it would be above, you know, 38%. That range, 38% and above. Um, if they can get in the top 10, that, that, that means they're going to more or less probably be in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I think realistically 37% could be, you know, really where they could get to. It just it's all gonna depend on the lineup combinations, how well um, you know, health comes into factor, especially, you know, with the perimeter guys in in Karis Levert, then you've got D'Angelo Russell, then Alan Crabb, of course. Those are the three components. I think you'll see Joe Harris kind of play that specialty role as a shooter, but I wouldn't count on him to be a night in, night out rotation guy. So the other three guys I just mentioned, I think they're going to play consistent key minutes. So that's where I want to see the improvement across the board, you know, perimeter shooting wise. Yeah. What about you, Jack? What areas, you know, for the people that haven't read your piece that you think the Nets need to improve? Any, yeah, so, anything else you want to add in there? So I said to take the sort of next step offensively and defensively. So for me, uh, for every team last season, I mentioned this in my piece, every team last season that was in the playoffs was either a top half offensive team in offensive rating or a top half defensive team in defensive rating. Now, I'm not sure which area the Nets look better at. They were probably, they were bottom 10 or near bottom 10 in both areas. Uh, I'm not sure which area they probably have the most room for growth and the, the highest ceiling, so to speak. Probably offense with this sort of jacked up pace and space system that we have with Coach Kenny. But as well, the additions we've made with Ed Davis, uh, you know, is a decent defender. Jared Allen's only going to grow from there and Karis LeVert. So I think there's room for growth in both, area, both areas of the floor. But I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. If, the, if you were to put your money on it, if I was to give you $100 and, and you were to take it to a betting agency, would you say that the Nets are going to be a better offensive team or defensive team next season? Oh, good question. Um, I'm going to say offense. Um, yep. That's what I would think. Yeah, I'm going to go with offense as well. I just think with the talent on the roster, there's not a ton of guys who are like, wow, this guy could really be an elite defender. Where right. there's other guys in the roster, you look at D'Angelo Russell, I think that's a guy we'll talk about later, but he could make that big jump and be really an offensive piece that could really create things. But talking about playoffs, just given my points out there, I think finishing games is really important. Obviously, you know, Jack and I dealt with a lot of stress last year. You know, some of it being the refs, some of the Nets just turning over the ball. And then just like you guys mentioned, the improved efficiency, not only shooting-wise, but turnover-wise, clean that up. And defensively, they had stretches where they played good defense. It was just consistency. They weren't able to do it throughout the whole season. And the rebounding numbers, like you said, you know, they, they look a little bit prettier, but I think at certain times there was games where they just got killed on the boards. Hopefully Ed Davis, Kenneth Reed can really help in that area and improvements from Jared Allen. 
Yeah, I think those clutch numbers as well. You know, I looked at the sort of clutch stats in the last sort of couple of minutes of games. We were one of the worst teams in the league. You know, our winning percentage at 38% was only better than four other teams. Uh, You know, our our field goal percentage as well was terrible in those situations, just under 38%, which was 28th in the league. So I think closing our games that we had, um, obviously the refereeing, the officiating didn't do us much help um, in, in a lot of situations. But there were times where, you know, Spencer Dibney would jack, up, would jack up a bad shot. You know, he would learn from that, and that happened probably more earlier in the season. But, yeah, I think with maturity, uh, and I think, you know, uh, a season together in Kenny's system as well, I think it's going to do them wonders. And I think they have now sort of veteran pieces that can address those issues. Yeah, for a team that didn't even reach 30 wins, they had a lot of close games, and that experience should really benefit them. But, Pete, if you had to put a percentage on, I know you said the playoffs are probably out of reach, so it could be a really small, it could even be 0%. What percent would you give the Nets at making the playoffs? Ooh, um, I would say maybe 20, 25% making it. Um, I just think that there's other teams that improved well enough that, you know, is going to kind of push the, the Nets out of it. I think, though, that, you know, they, what, 28 wins last season is what the Nets won. They yep. could easily go to, um, about the 34 range. So that doesn't put them that far out of the playoffs. I just, it's the other competition that you have to kind of worry about. And I don't know across the board if the Nets have that second tier guy that, that can really kind of close games. I think that D'Angelo Russell could get there to where he can kind of have a little bit of a takeover mo, you know, moments um, in the fourth quarter. But I just don't know that there's anyone yet Maybe Karis LeVert if he gets more experience, but I right knew I now, liked you, Pete. I knew I liked you. Yeah. Karis is my guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he can get there. I just don't know that he's there yet. And so until they get that bona fide second guy, if if Russell's struggling, I just I think they're a year away. I think that's completely fair, and definitely I think that's a big thing is closing out games. Can D'Angelo do that? Can he become consistent? Can he stay healthy? But talking about the Nets' young guys, we're going to rank the young court, 24 and younger. You know, we could rank them as they are now, top five, and then we could rank them as potential. So we'll start with as they are now, what's the Nets' young core look like? Ooh, um, let's see. Let's go one to, one to five. I'm going to say I've got D'Angelo Russell one. I've got Karis LeVert two. Jared Allen, three. Um, I believe Hollis, uh, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson fits in there because he is 24, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so I have him there. And then I butchered names. So um, it's, is it uh, Rodion's Curix? Curix, yeah. yep. Curix, yep. I have him um, in the last spot, just slightly ahead of uh, Musa, just based on what I saw in, um, for FC Barcelona. Interesting. Why uh, Why do you think Rodion's is a little bit higher than Musa? I'm just, I haven't watched a ton of film on either of those guys. It's mostly just research I'm hearing from other people. But what's the reasoning behind that? Um, I just think that he has a better shot um, from mid-range and then um, his better focus inside the arc, whereas Musa is a little bit more of a strictly perimeter guy. So I think that coupled with uh, Curix already has the um, NBA body and is ready, you know, m- Possibly, I don't think any rookie that comes in is is elite defensively or even average defensively. Um, but I think that in time he can become the better defender of the two. Um, so I think I'm, you know, that's kind of what I'm basing it on. Just what I saw as far as both of their um, limited tape that I saw on both, and 
I I don't know. I'm I'm not down on Musa. I just think just based on the two head to head, I I give uh, Curix the the edge. Yeah, it's interesting. I would probably it's it's hard to say. I think uh, overall as a player, I think Kurux fits better in the in the NBA system and in Coach Kenny's system. He's a a perfect sort of guy, and I think Sean Marks. Uh, made the perfect decision in sort of locking him up long-term for, for cheap money because I think he's going to develop into a nice rotation piece and possibly even a starter in two or three seasons. Um, but I think Musa has a, a high, high offensive ceiling. You know, we mm-hmm. haven't seen, you know, his defensive credibility. You know, guys like, you know, Nick Letourneau, who's done plenty of videos and, and a lot of his moments on Twitter, showed that his stance, and I think you mentioned on a, a preview pod that will be coming out for the NBA outlet as well, that, you know, he just needs to be coached a little bit better. And I think both of these guys, you know, will benefit greatly from, you know, great NBA coaching. And as uh, as Pete mentioned, the fact that, um, you know, Coach Kenny is, is famed for his player development, I think it's going to work wonders on them. But Jack, what about you? What's your top five currently of the Nets young core? I would probably go pretty similar with what Pete had. I'd have... D'Angelo Russell, I would have Jarrett Allen slightly above uh, of Karis LeVert. I could almost, uh, I think I mentioned on a previous buzz as well that Jarrett Allen could almost be a, a better version. You know, being at the center position, I think that he could be like a top five center, whereas because the point guard is such a stacked position right now in terms of the elite talent, that D'Angelo Russell will probably be a better player. But in terms of the positional rankings, I think Jarrett Allen could be better. So I'm going to go D'Angelo, Jarrett, Karis, uh, I'd probably go Ronde as well. And then I will probably go Janan just ahead of uh, Rodion's. Yeah, I'll probably go the same one as you, Jack, except swap, you know, Levert and Allen. You know, I considered at that point when you said that, that maybe I'll replace you with Pete, but, you know, we'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basing the top five off highest ceiling, you know, who has the most potential if we were to rank the top five of Ooh. the young court? Most potential, I think. And, and you, it could be a hit or miss. It doesn't guarantee they're going to hit that potential, but who has the highest ceiling, you know, oh, ranking man. them? Man, um, that's tough for me because I, I'm i like you. I like Karis LeVert. I'm going to put Karis LeVert one because I think he fits best as a future small forward. Um, Jared Allen right behind him um, because I think he's the cornerstone as, as the center. Um, I think defensively, athletically, offensively, you know, he he can get a little bit better. But defensively, I think he's going to um, show improvement this year. Um, ooh, that's tough. Three, I still believe in D'Angelo Russell, even though I, I don't know if, if he's really a one or a two. Um, then I'm going to go Curix, Musa, and... Hollis Jefferson last because I think right now where Hollis Jefferson is is about tapping out to where he's going to be a solid starter but I don't know that he improves anywhere tremendously enough to really take that next leap yeah I think he's got a very high floor but his ceiling like you mentioned Pete isn't as high as you know basically all the guys that we just mentioned if I'm going I'm going number one Jared Allen I mentioned this on a previous buzz that I think he has probably one of the highest ceilings of many rookies in the NBA today, or many young guys. I'd go D'Lo 2. Sorry, Nick, I'm going Karis 3. I'd go Janan 4, and then probably Rodion's 5, and then, you know, uh, Rondo would be just outside that top 5. This is a tough one. 
I think I'm going to just like be on the D'Angelo bandwagon by myself. I think I'm going to keep him at number one because I just see that vision and that potential and just the impact that guards have in the NBA nowadays. So I'm going to leave D'Angelo one. But I think his floor is a lot lower than Jared Allen where I already know what Jared Allen is and I believe he'll be a starter for the Nets for the next 10 years. I've been saying that for a while. So he'll be number two. I'll even put my guy Karras at number three, but I think his floor is very high as well. I just don't know, you know, super high level from the hit, but I wouldn't sleep on him. I don't think the differential would on and Karis Levert is that much in terms of who can get much higher than the other. And then um, I'd go with Musa. And I, I think I'd put RHJ there because I do have a little bit of faith in what he can do in terms of adding to his game as a three-point shot. I think he can mm-hmm. clean up himself as a handler and he'll just be in a really weird position, but I don't think he'll ever be an all-star type player. You know, best case scenario for RHJ is probably a starter, you know, on a, maybe a championship team, a guy that's coming off the bench. Yeah, I can me- see that. Yeah, for me as well, the defensive ceiling of Rondé is one that's really intriguing, you know. Uh, it's going to be, is he going to be a, a versatile perimeter defender? Is he going to be an interior defender? Is he going to be Draymond super-duper light? It's it's interesting to sort of, you know, project that, you know, when you compare him to a guy like a Justice Winslow who, can, who is already probably near that really high defensive level uh, of ceiling. Uh, Rondé sort of, you know, has, has improved his offensive game in leaps and bounds last season but we saw some lapses defensively last season he was still probably one of our better defenders but you know the Nets weren't anything to ride home about when it came to defense so I'd like to see him get back to that sort of not necessarily elite level defense but you know uh, he had one really yeah high level he had um that one game we talked about before against Portland where he was just you know lights out if we can see 50 60 games of that from Rondé then I I think that's gonna you know revolutionize the the Nets you know defense and offense for, for mind you yeah, and the weird thing about Rondé is, you know, in season one and two, you know, in terms of his career, he didn't really show us a ton. And then last year, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just adds this offensive game where now he can shoot mid-range, he can work in the post, and he can do a little bit different things. I'm just intrigued to see what Kenny can do with him and just a whole bunch of guys in the staff. Even somebody like a Spencer doing a Joe Harris, you know, somewhat of a late bloomer. I think Kenny and that staff is able to get guys, you know, at a little bit older age and some other coaching staffs can in the league. Yeah. Well, that's true because in Atlanta, he was able to get, you know, good potential out of a bunch of different guys that kind of end of the bench guys. And uh, I think with Rondé, the big question I have, he's kind of that tweener, the three, yeah. four, what is he going to be long-term? Is he going to develop into that stretch four role or is he going to be more of that, you know, kind of the, I hate to say it, but like a Wesley Johnson type where he is stuck in that tweener role and hopefully he's better than Wesley Johnson. Yeah. I, I hope. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but just kind of stuck in that tweener role. And, and I don't know where he would fit. If he is a small forward, I don't know how he would fit necessarily long-term with Brooklyn. But if he is the if he is de- developing that three-point shot, or at least, you know, consistently hitting it um, for the next season or two, then I think he can develop into that stretch four role and fit perfectly long-term. Yeah, and like Pete was saying, like, you know, if Rondé doesn't develop that three, it has to be almost a perfect situation where maybe your center is knocking down threes or you have a lot of spacing in other parts of the floor where you don't have to worry about him as much being that stretch four. I think one thing that might benefit Rondé a little bit is just the way the NBA is going, positionless, but obviously in some situations you still need a true four and whatnot. Yeah. But going back to D'Angelo, what is best case scenario for D'Angelo Russell? Obviously, this is the big ticket for the Nets franchise. Obviously, like I mentioned before, guard play is so important in the NBA. What do you guys think is his best case scenario if he were to max out? If he maxes out, it's all-star. I mean, I think that's pretty pretty clear, especially in the Eastern Conference now that you you know have the um, the big shift to where everybody seems to be going west, especially you know with LeBron. Um, it kind of gets him <clears throat> out of the out of the way. Um, with D'Angelo, I think that you know, 
him staying, like I said earlier, staying healthy is the is the big thing. Um, his shooting percentage has to go up because he barely shot, you know, over forty percent in his first three years. Last year, coming off the thirty-two percent from three, that was I think because he was injured, trying to fit into the offense, figure out basically where he fit, whether it was, you know, coming off the bench or, or starting. Um, I think also he you know, everybody says they work on their body in the off season. So I'd take that with a grain of salt, but you know, being that the reports say he has worked on his body, kind of getting more muscle, that's going to help him, you know, drive to the hole more, um, help his confidence. Cause I, I think with the injured knee, I think that really hindered him as far as from a mental standpoint. So now his, you know, ability to finish um, at the rim, he already was pretty decent finishing at the rim, you know, previous now I think it goes to another level when he's not thinking about that knee kind of second guessing it and then lastly if he can work on that three-point shot and get it up to 37 percent 38 percent consistently then I think that's really going to put pressure on the defenses and his court vision is already there we saw that at Ohio State you know coming out I think one area I I don't know that he's worked on a ton and I don't really know um, you know NBA training wise how you can really you know, enhance it, but his foot speed, because I don't know that he's fast enough to really get by elite guards with quick speed, like the John Walls, the Aaron Foxes, you know, like those kind of guys. So he has to work on his craftiness of finding, you know, the ability to hit the pull up mid range, you know, kind of crafty footwork getting inside to be able to finish around taller defenders. So I think if he does, you know, those things, obviously, you know, he'd be an all-star, but that, that would be the goal, I think, for both. Uh, D'Angelo and Brooklyn. Yeah, I I did a piece, uh, a little hot take for OCGBasketball.com, the hot take marathon. Check it out, guys. Um, that I, I think he can be an also. Uh, I, I think, you know, in terms of the fan vote, you know, when it comes to that, you know, D'Lo has all the fans in the world. You know, despite being injured last season, he was still top 20 in fan vote and, you know, was almost beating Goran Dragic, who made the all-star team as an injury replacement. I think for him to be an all-star as well, the Nets need to win some games. Um before his injury, he was averaging, you know, nearly 21-5-5, five and five, which is, you know, elite numbers, you know, nearly 35% from three. I think if he would average that over a full season, you know, that's that would be an insane uh, return for us. And if he would average those numbers going into the All-Star, I, I think that he, he would almost make it. Now, I think if he keeps that up, obviously, you know, his, his uh, effectiveness in terms of turnovers, uh, in terms of, like, you know, just reading the floor a little bit better and his maturity and leadership, all these things that he's... Uh, he's aiming to be better at, and I think he's going to be better at, um, you know, going into a, a contract year of sorts. Um, I, I think the three-point shot, in terms of the, the ability to sort of use that sort of foot speed that he lacks, I think when you look at guys like James Harden and all these guys who aren't, you know, quote-unquote athletic, you know, they have other ways that sort of they can maneuver their way around. You know, James Harden has one of the best handles in the league. I believe in Delo's hand. I think he's probably going to tighten up a little bit get that sort of quick first step that James Harden can do and create space in ways. But I think, you know, there's all the tools there for D'Lo to become an all-star and maybe even a multi-time all-star, which will probably be his ceiling. Yeah, uh, pretty much everything you guys said. And I thought Pete brought up a great point about his body. You know, working this offseason, Kenny's brought up on interviews too, is that he does need to work on his body and he'll look more confident with his knee. Just a little stats too. You know, in the first 12 games of the season when he was in full stride, like Jack mentioned, you know, 25 and 5, he was averaging over five free throw attempts a game. He finished the season with a little bit just under three. And I think when you watched him come back from injury, he didn't look as confident. He wasn't getting as much inside. And obviously some of that was with the knee. And I think adding muscle is not only going to help him 
you know, feel more healthy, but he should be a touch more explosive. You know, I'm not expecting him to be like John Wall fast or anything, but I do expect him to pick it up a little bit, add on some more muscle, and I think that should really help him. And I'd like to see him take advantage of his frame. You know, he is 6'5". He has good length. You know, he can use that to his advantage when he's dealing with some of the faster guards. So like you guys said, I think all-star guard is definitely potential and a guy that can put up big numbers and really be a cornerstone for this Nets franchise. If you were guy like, this is obviously a way out hypothetical. What can he reach as, like, with sort of as a positional rank? Like, if we're talking, like, Kemba Walker's sort of on that sort of fringe as being, like, top 10, top 12 point guard in the league, is, is D'Lo in that sort of realm of where his ceiling can be? Or is he in that sort of next level above with guys like, you know, John Wall, who are just outside the top five with, like, Russell Westbrook and Stephen Curry? Because I don't think right now, from what he's shown, he has the ability to be, you know, a, tr- a, a transcendent uh, NBA point guard. But he certainly has, you know, elements that you can sort of go, well, maybe he can sort of reach this ceiling. Mm. Um, I'm not going to put him – I don't think he's ever going to get to that elite level where you have John Wall, you've got Steph Curry, Westbrook, you know, those kind of guys. I think he if, – if everything falls right, health, you know, development, you know, everything – from that standpoint, I think he can get to that tier behind him. Like you said, that Kemba Walker, where it's a, you're going to be an all-star. You can be a multi-time all-star, but you're not going to be that guy where it's like hands down, like teams are so scared to play you because you're that superstar, you know, on the floor. But I think he's going to have, you know, matchups to where he can really shine brighter than others. It's just that the maturity for me, I think, is somewhere like he could improve as far as from a mindset standpoint. And that goes, you know, to the locker room, to how you carry yourself on the court when things don't go your way. And I think also, like I mentioned earlier, the foot speed, not just from an offensive standpoint, being able to get by guys and things like that laterally, you know, being able to move defensively is going to be where he's going to have to improve as well. So those, those things are key for me to, to push him up kind of that ladder um, as far as the the upper echelon point guards. Yeah, I think you guys are spot on. Probably top 10, not getting into that top five. You know, he's only 22 years old, so there is always, you know, some unforeseen things that could happen to him. But due to the lack of foot speed, like Pete mentioned, the lack of athleticism, I think it could hinder him a touch. And, you know, I wouldn't be super somehow he ended up in the top five at some point in his career, you know, maybe as a peak, but most likely it's in that top 10. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I, I was probably going to say, yeah, Kemba Walker, if you look at him, franchise point guard for the, the Charlotte Hornets right now, looking to probably get a max contract from them or get traded out. Uh, who knows what could happen there? But, you know, Kemba Walker has is, is very underrated and is, you know, a multi-time all-star and can do so many different things, is a closer. You know, uh, as sort of Pete mentioned, we want D-Lo to become a, a closer of sorts for us, a guy who can just get a bucket on, on any sort of occasion. Uh, I think that there's nothing wrong with that ceiling for him. And I think, you know, he has sort of, it, it's it, a higher passing ceiling than, than Kemba Walker right now. I think we've talked about it in, in spurts about, you know, his elite court vision. You know, some of his passing is, you know, Remarkable. very, very high level. And yeah, he can be maybe top five in that area. But in terms of the fact that he has other weaknesses in terms of foot speed and, and, and defensive lateral quickness and all those other things, that probably takes him down. So it, it depends on how his, his floor is on some of his weaknesses, like if he can you know, sort of tighten them up a little bit and if he can continue to sort of hone those really elite skills that he possesses. 
And I think sometimes doing a little bit of the dirty work, you know, you see somebody like Steph Curry, who's not an, you know, an elite defender, but he puts in a ton of effort and yeah. he just plays great team defense. I don't know if he'll ever be the defender that Curry is not saying he's amazing, but he just does enough to do the right things. And I think D'Angelo, another thing is, you know, what type of shooter is he? You know, we don't really know because he's so inconsistent. One game you'll see him, he'll knock down seven threes. The next game he might go O of seven. So I think if we can kind of find some in-between, have a better idea of what he is from three, what he is from mid-range, can that get consistent? It's so hard to predict somebody who's only 22 years old. And I know a lot of us have talked about is, you know, his time in L.A. was kind of a mess. You know, he had to deal with Kobe the first season, the whole Nick Young situation the second season, and now last year he dealt with the injury. Yeah, and the thing with D'Angelo is he's really going to have to push his development because if you look at it, coming down the the pike is going to be the the age limit is going to um, change for the draft. So you're going to have guys even younger, even hungrier to prove, you know, the point. So you're going to have a really, you know, new kind of era of, of guards coming in. And so it's going to be tough. So for me, the next two years are going to be where D'Angelo really has to make his mark. If he doesn't do it in the next two years, then I don't know that's going to happen. And especially this season, uh, Brooklyn's going to know if he's a cornerstone piece or not and whether they need to go in another direction, which is a good thing with with free agency coming um, over the summer. But, you know, if D'Angelo does turn into so- someone as a cornerstone, then that's great for for Brooklyn and, and the fan base and, of course, D'Angelo himself. But then that also allows you to work in other areas and fill the team, you know, knowing that you already have a bona, you know, bona fide star. Exactly. I think it's such a huge year, like you said, not only for D'Angelo and where he's at, and he just saw his boy Devin Booker get paid, but it's a big year for the Nets because they need to know what's going to happen next year in the offseason. They're going to have cap space. Now they could have even more cap space so they don't plan on you know, giving D'Angelo big money, and they could go after a Kyrie Irving. But if D'Angelo looks like he's going to be a star for the future, you know, you might second-guess that and go after somebody more so like a Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris or maybe even get lucky with a Kawhi or a KD or something. So definitely really intriguing on all aspects for D'Angelo. But let's talk Nets lineups. What we're going to do is we'll look at it for best three-point shooting, the best defensive, and the best offensive. Which one do you guys want to start with? Uh, Overall. We'll start overall first. I think it's best to start from the top. Okay. Best overall Nets lineup next season. This doesn't have to be starting lineup, just, you know, maybe closing lineup or the one that you think will have the best success on the floor. Uh, For me, I think the the best success is going to be Jared Allen at the five. Rondé at the four, you put Karis Levert at the three, Alan Crabb at the two for the shooting, and that could be interchangeable, but um, I, I think he he really fits best at the two. You could interchange it with with Joe Harris if you really needed a three-point uh, shooter, um, but I think I like – I'm a huge Alan Crabb guy, so um, I, I really still believe in him. And then D'Angelo Russell at the one. Yeah, we're all crab people on the Brooklyn Buzz, my friends. Um, I, I would probably have the same lineup, but uh, I'd question Karras right now uh, until maybe mid-season if he's proven that he can be very capable defensively. Uh, I'd probably sub in Damari Carroll. So I think that's basically our starting lineup uh, as well. But I think Damari gives us you know a lot of leadership, a lot of cool heads. You know, He's been around the way. Uh, I think in terms of closing games, he was one of our better players. You know, He would make plays. Uh, he just knows how to do the right thing, considering the situation on both sides of the floor. But I definitely think that that is our best, uh, probably by the end of the season, I'm hoping that that's our best closing lineup. Um, and yeah, Joe Harris in any situation for me is always good. 
Yeah, mine's pretty similar to Pete. The only thing I would maybe consider, depending on what we see from Rondé, would maybe swap him out with Carroll and play him at the you know small ball four. Yep. But, uh, you know, I think either way you go with that. I like D'Angelo. I like Lavert. I like Crab, And I think Lavert's going to take a jump as a three-point shooter. And he also provides D'Angelo with another ball handler where he doesn't have all the pressure on him and he can kind of relieve the, lo- the load. And, you know, it'll kind of allow Crab to kind of hit his highest peak. Pete, you said you're a big Crab guy. And obviously there's been a decent amount of criticism for the Nets taking on the Crab contract and not getting any assets. What do you think will be his, you know, numbers this season? What do you think's best case scenario for him this season with the Nets? Um, I think he can easily be around, you know, the, the 14 point mark, um, you know, consistently it's, it's going to come down to how much he's pushed, I think. Cause I think Crab's a guy that, that really has to kind of, it's sad to say, but kind of be pushed by competition to, to really be motivated to stay consistent. Cause I think in, in what I've seen is some games he can be a little bit complacent and, and not really look to be aggressive. So I think with Karis LeVert there on the wing, I think that's going to help him, um, you know, really kind of fend, you know, Karis off for minutes. And then you've got Joe Harris in there for situational uh, minutes. But I think he can ultimately be um, a solid long-term starter in the league as a shooting guard. I think he can actually play some three a little bit, but I, I like him best at, at the two. And then you play Karis at the three. Yeah, I liked his sort of defensive acumen that was developing over the season. You know, when he wasn't, uh, his sort of lights out best self. You know, he still shot almost 38% from from range last year, but he still showed nights of, of good energy on both ends of the floor. You know, 10th most threes last year, and this is, you know, going straight from my tweet that I put out. You know, 13 games where he made three, five threes or more. I think, you know, if he can get back to being an elite three-point shooter, and like you said, Pete, having that confidence, you know, Nick's mentioned uh, plenty of times the fact that he didn't have a training camp, didn't have a summer to sort of work himself into the system. I think that's going to do him wonders. And I think, yeah, Alan Crabb is going to, he's going to need to prove his worth somewhat to an extent as well, because, you know, we've bet on him. And I think, you know, he's going to repay that faith. Yeah, and you look at certain points in the season, you know, after, you know, more so in the 2018 portion, he looked a lot more confident and a lot more comfortable. So hoping for big things for Crab. And talking about Crab, best three-point shooting lineup. Ooh, um, so I'd have Russell at the one. Um, hmm. I'd put Joe Harris at the two, put Crab at the three. I'd put Damari Carroll at the four. Um, mm, at the five, you don't really – you need to have somebody rebounding. I'm going to go with – I like Ed Davis in there just to be able to snag rebounds and, and you know, help out defensively. Yeah, I love that five up five spot. You know, if Jonathan does develop there as a rebound, I think he'll be there. He's probably a better three point shooter mechanically wise. And you know, Kenneth Reed shot a couple in this offseason, uh, according to some Twitter videos. But I would actually have Shabazz Napier in there. I'll probably go D'Lo, uh, Shabazz, Joe, and this has gone super duper small, mind you. Joe, uh, Alan Crab, and then Ed Davis. I think those are our best three point shooters. You know, Karis Levert mechanically looks as good as as D'Lo, but I think consistency-wise, we want Dealer to be that guy, so we've got to keep him out there. Uh, and Damari obviously could play maybe like small ball four. So you can certainly interchange guys, but Joe Harris and Alan Crabb are our two best three-point shooters, you know, without a doubt. So I think they have to be in there. And I think Shabazz is underrated uh, in that sort of respect. And I think playing alongside Delo, he will get plenty of open looks. And, you know, I put out a tweet that sort of, you know, got some nice traction about the fact that he is one of the better uh, catch-and-shoot players uh, when it comes to backup point guards. 
So I went crazy. I went like 2K crazy. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> know. The Nets will put, <laughs> I don't know if the Nets will put this on the floor, but it would be fun. I went Shabazz, Joe Harris, Alan Crabb, Jared Dudley, and oh. then Mari played a little bit at small ball five last year, obviously for like yes. few minute stretches, but all those guys are really good three-point shooters, and that would be super fun. Nice. Sweet. But um, no, I don't. I don't think Kenny's going to put it out there. But you never know. He gets a little bit wacky with his lineups. Defensively, best lineup the Nets can throw out there. Uh, defensively, I think I'm going to right now because we don't know if Jared Allen is going to improve there. Um, so I've I've got to slot in Ed Davis. Um, I'd put at the four. I would put um, Kenneth Fareed. I like his uh, defensive hustle, um, his ability to rebound and then get out in transition. Um, hmm. small forward. I like Travion Graham. Uh, oh, that that's a good from, pick from yeah. Charlotte. I just think that he's got untapped potential. That you know, he's kind of obviously you know buried in in Charlotte just because of their wing depth, and you know, not that he's going to play a ton of minutes um, necessarily for Brooklyn, but I think he can can really get his untapped potential defensively. Um, he's already good. Now getting a a you know player development guy and Kenny Atkinson, you know, to kind of, you know, push him up, I guess, so to speak, um, can really elevate his defensive game even more. Um, shooting guard. Hmm. I don't know. Shooting guard would have to probably be, um, I'm going to say I like the versatility of, of Karis Levert and just the way he's able, you know, his, his length and, just the way he's able to move on the floor a little bit better. And then at point guard, I'm going Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm literally going the exact same lineup, Pete. I think Spencer Dinwiddie showed last season, you know, some real strides on the defensive end. I think there was, he was asked a lot of him uh, on both ends of the floor. And that's why we saw some, you know, inconsistency in terms of field goal percentage and stuff. You know, we've talked about Karis LeVert's versatility uh, and, you know, his growing sort of, you know, uh, uh, potential on that side of the floor. You know, he's got all the physical tools and, you know, he's been working in the offseason. I think that, you know, as well, Trevion Graham, you know, any of our guys at OTG Basketball, Evan Dahl, Dylan Jackson, they were, you know, really sad to see him leave. Uh, you know, he's also got that 3 and D potential as well, you know, shooting all, over 40% from there last year. Kenneth Farid has great hustle. Uh, I'm probably chucking Damari Carroll over him partly because I think Kenneth Fury can be uh, a bit of a rebound hunter. And I think his energy can sometimes work against him. You know, he might be, you know, hunting rebounds when he should be sort of focusing on the man-to-man defense, where I think Damari can make the right plays and is a good enough defender to sort, of, to sort of make up for that. And Ed Davis is probably, you know, one of our best defensive players, if not our best defensive player right now. Uh, you know, in terms of pick and roll defense, in terms of protecting the rim, uh, defensive rebounding, you know, he's an, he's an absolute stud. So mine's pretty similar to you guys. My theme for my lineup is switchability. You know, I'm big Jack knows spacing and switching. So I got Dinwiddie, Lavert, Carroll, RHJ, and I'm, I'm high on Jared Allen. You know, you guys are right. Ed Davis is probably better right now, but I think by the time the season comes along and the work he's kind of put in behind the scenes because no one ever really talks about him, think Jared Allen. And through this lineup, you know, these guys can literally switch on a lot of different positions. You know, we've seen Dinwiddie switch on to some fours at times. Obviously, RHJ, very versatile. Karis LeVert, Carroll's talked about him being able to probably play one through four. And Jared Allen, we saw him pick up Dennis Schroeder at points in the year. So I think this would be a really switchable lineup, and that's what I'm all about defensively, especially – in the NBA nowadays. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think I think for me with looking at Allen, I think 
you know, defensively, he's just he's got to obviously get a little bit more physical. Yeah, um, muscle. That, yeah, that's that's you know number one. Number two, he's going to have to get out of his habit of staying under the rim and kind of waiting on people to come to him. I think he's got to be able to move without like kind of hedging the gap, so to speak, without leaving you know the the rim wide open. And I think if if he's able to do that and improve on his what his 1.2 blocks per game obviously that's going to you know tremendously help um brooklyn and i think having a mentor in ed davis there then you have a guy like jared dudley who's you know not obviously a a key you know defensive guy but just his experience you know mentoring the bigs in in phoenix and and back when he was in la and um you know uh milwaukee I think just his locker room presence is really going to make a difference on this team. Yeah, and I 100% agree, Pete. I think, you know, we saw Jared Allen kind of sit back at times where he's, you know, more athletic than a lot of bigs in this league that he could have came out more. And I'm confident that he has the ability that he just needs to kind of get the confidence and kind of get some veteran leadership to kind of show him how to do it and kind of tell him what to do. And I think player development-wise with the coaching and the players will help him in that area. But offensively, best lineup the Nets can chuck out there. Offensively, from a scoring standpoint, it would be, I would say, put Shabazz Napier at the one, um, Russell at the two. I'm going to go like you did just a little bit ago with a little 2K and <laughs> just throw a random um, lineup out there. But I think Russell at the two, um, or you can interchange him, really. Um, then you've got, um, I like Karis LeVert um, at the three. As you can see, I'm a high on Karis LeVert as well. Um, then I'm going to go with, um, even though it's, it's under, he's undersized to play the four, I'm going to throw out Alan Crabb at the four. Yes. Um, I just, I like the shooting ability just from the perimeter and just having all the scores you can. Um, and then at the five, um, I like the, the versatility of being able to play pick and roll, get lobs from, from Jared, Jared Allen. So. Yeah, I'm literally the same. I'd probably, you could interchange maybe Damari Carroll to have some like ridiculously three-point shooting in terms of our spacing. But I think Jared Allen, even Kenneth Farida as a sort of vertical vertical option in terms of in the pick and roll, I think, you know, him, D'Lo, him and Shabazz, whatever you want, you chuck either of those two guys there. I think the offensive spacing and the in terms of the verticality that they possess would be, you know, pretty insane. We saw so many awesome things from Jared Allen and 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 Carlos in the pick and roll last year. I'm looking forward to seeing some some development from from D'Angelo and Jared in, in that in that sense as well. Them developing a nice little synergy. So, yeah, I think Jared Allen's going to be out there as well. Yeah, I really like that lineup, and mine's almost exactly the same. This a Jack will probably like this. The only swap I'd make is Napier for Joe Harris because then. Yes. You have- Two elite shooters and, you know, Harris and Crab who Crabs get that number back up to 40%. And I think Levert, honestly, he has a little bit of a mean streak in him. You know, you mentioned in that slam article we saw earlier this year, you know, he he can be a little bit tougher. And at times he's willing to kind of get down there and bang a little bit. He has pretty good length. So I think that would be a really fun lineup and just a ton of scoring. Defensively, would have some issues, but it would be fun. It's interesting that like all the sort of lives we're talking about have some sort of viability. And I think, you know, if we were talking about this on the buzz last year, you know, if we had paid on, it'd be, it'd be hard to sort of press to say, you know, all these sort of different sort of names you could chuck out there. You know, we didn't have an Ed Davis or Shabazz Napier, any of these sort of NBA ready guys, even a Trevion Graham who in certain situations would be, you know, certainly helpful. So I think now having that depth is going to be, you know, a huge asset for the Nets. So I think 
they're one of the deeper teams, especially in the in the Eastern Conference. And they yeah. should help a lot. Like you know, you know, we mentioned, you know, P mentioned earlier injuries being a concern. Last year they had injuries and they had really no one to bring in. Now they at least can bring in some NBA guys instead of guys that are on two way contracts or G League call ups and whatnot. So I feel a lot more confident if somebody were to go down. Yeah, you place Milton Doyle, James Webb. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead with Ed Quincy Davis. <laughs> yeah, replace all those guys with Shabazz Napier, Ed Davis, Kenneth Fareed, Jared Dudley, Trevion Graham. But those are automatically NBA-ready replacements. A lot of those guys outside of maybe Quincy Acey just aren't NBA, weren't NBA-ready guys, and they just couldn't do it night in, night out in, at an NBA, you know, elite NBA level. Whereas all those guys that we've mentioned have done it and have proven it before, you know, albeit to, to different extents. That's why those guys are now overseas. Each one of them <laughs> has signed a contract overseas. So yep. we'll see. Yep. I think I think Whitehead might have a chance if he can develop. I think he'll be back. Yeah. I think he can come back. Yeah. Yep. He's got some major grit to his game, and I think that's something that NBA teams can always appreciate. You have a guy that comes with that type of energy, and he's not really backing down against anyone. It, like Jack and I mentioned on an earlier show, it was sad to see him go, but you completely understood why, and it made uh, you know plenty of sense. Yeah. Right. I think just real quick, speaking of somebody to go, the reason uh, I want to make a disclaimer, the reason why I didn't really have Damari Carroll in a lot of my lineups is I think he's the most viable trade candidate to me on the team. I think it just makes sense. You know, if the Nets aren't, you know, if they don't start out of the gate hot, basically, you know, you can assess over your first 20 games whether you're going to be in playoff contention or not, or at least for the most part. Um, And I think that that's really going to kind of, I know he's Kenny Atkinson's guy and, and had been in the past. Um, but I think overall he would make sense if they're if the Brooklyn does struggle, I think he would make sense to be a trade candidate for sure. What do you think the Nets could get for him? Ooh, good question. Um I mean, they would want back, you know, somebody that, you know, is a of a defensive mindset. So I think a mid tier um mid-tier like small forward they'd have to get back um that's not really somebody that would potentially come in knowing that they're going to have a starting role more of a spark off the bench because i think overall you want that starting role to go to to karis long term um and i think you know like a mid-tier player and maybe a second rounder i don't think anything more than that you know honestly do you think they could get a late first with the right team? You know, we're talking bottom five of the first round. Mm, yeah, but who's, who would want to take him? And He's an expiring, he... which does help his case. Yeah, but, I mean, ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Honestly, looking at it, and I, I'm not the, the guy to ask as far as assets because I've seen some deals go down where I'm like, wow, how did they get that for him <laughs> um, kind of thing. But I don't know that they'd get a first rounder out of it. Um. You know, that's that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think it would be reaching slightly. If we're sort of comparing, I think teams like New Orleans, teams like Detroit that are sort of in need of a, a wing vet presence and teams who were linked to DeMar in the past probably aren't going to be willing to give up such a, a, a high asset. But I think Detroit's probably more likely in that sort of sense in terms of their front office uh, incapabilities of, <laughs> of sorts. Obviously, Stan Van's gone, but they've got Dwayne as sort of the head coach now. So... Um, but I think, you know, if New Orleans, what they gave for, for Nikola Miritich 
if Damari can continue his form uh, and, you know, stay as a starter, prove himself, you know, Houston could be linked to him as well. I think Zach Lowe brought that up and we brought it up before on the buzz. I think, you know, Houston could probably give up maybe a first render if, you know, Mello happens to just like flame out. They get nothing out of James Dennis and they're just left with an absolute gap at the wing. It's just like PJ Tucker and just like no one else. Um, obviously losing Trevor Ariza, I think Damari Carroll would be a ready-made replacement there. So if you see, you know, desperate times for Houston, you know, coming into the trade deadline uh, around February and that all-star sort of break, that's probably the highest level uh, of sort of return that I think we could get from from a team like them. Yeah, I, I think see Portland or the Spurs as well. Yeah. Yep. I like him on the Spurs. I don't know why. I just like that vibe. But um, do you guys think that Spencer Dinwiddie could get traded? Do you think that's a possibility, Pete? Or do you think the Nets are going to look on look to hold on to him? See, I, I would hold on to him if I'm Brooklyn because I like how he's kind of that change of, of pace, but he's able to play at multiple paces, um, and he's smart. And that's what you want because you don't know with D'Angelo Russell if he's actually going to pan out or not. I would give it another year. If if D'Angelo, say he is an all-star, then you're going to have to kind of think next summer, like, hey, we might have to move off of Spencer. But I don't think you do it right now because he's your – number one, he's your insurance policy. Number two – you know, he actually is a good player, despite what, you know, people kind of laughed last year. Like, who is this guy? Like, he got cut from the Bulls. Like, he's not any good. And, you know, come to find out, he's actually really good. If he continues his form, I'm going to ch- keep chucking the questions at you, Pete. Um, he's yeah. obviously mm-hmm. on this really, really, you know, uh, team-friendly contract, to say the least. Probably one of the best contracts in the league before Nikola Jokic signed his uh, extension. If you're Sean Marks and you know you take out of the consideration the, the possible free agency, what does a team or what do the Nets re-sign him for in terms of you know uh, millions of dollars and in terms of you know length, so to speak? If he continues, you know his you know consistency and that trajectory. Mm, I mean, I think he could easily get you know twelve million a year just based on if he yep. improves at the rate that he's at now. I think that's realistic to to ask for. I don't think he's a break the bank type player um, by any means. I think that, you know, he's that serviceable guy that you could start in a pinch, but he's going to be more of the guy that anchors your, your bench unit. Um, And I mean, I don't think in today's market, I don't think 12 million a year is a lot to ask for that because you have some NBA starters right now that are getting a lot more than that, that I don't think are worth the contracts and, and aren't necessarily, um, you know, whether it's based on health or some other reasons at the level that Spencer Dinwiddie could be at if he continues to improve. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And I think there would be probably a market for him just because there is a chance for an improvement. And like you said, he's a solid guard, you know, top three and most improved voting last year. Interesting to see how Dinwiddie and D'Lo can gel this year. You know, last year we Mm -hmm. didn't see a lot of positive results. This year I'll be really intrigued to see how that gels. Yeah, and there's tons of openings too. I mean, because if you really look across the the board, Orlando, I don't know yeah, what they're that's doing. That's the first team that came to mind with Orlando. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, kind of banking on Jerry and Grant kind of being the back of the <laughs> DJ Augustin. Like that doesn't make sense to me. And then I'm not an Alfred Payton guy because I just don't I don't like point guards that can't shoot. Um and I've never been high on Alfred Payton to begin with. So those are two teams that are key right there. And then Miami, depending on what happens with Goran Dragic, you know, and you've got Tyler Johnson who they're trying to get off of, but they don't really have a backup de facto point guard. And I think he could fit there, um, you know, for some nice money as well. 
Yeah, I yeah. think Fings would be another one as well. You know, is Devin Booker going to turn into James Harden? Is, you know, Coach Igor Kokoshkov going to go, okay, we're going to make you a, a, a sort of floor general? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it could happen. I, I, I'm not saying it, it can't. Um, but at the same time, I don't know who their sort of point guard, you know, de facto sort of pure one is in that sort of situation. So the, we just rattle off, you know, three or four teams that could easily use his services. And, you know, you look at what the Marcus Smart signed for, four years, $50 million, with the, the cap only going to go up in the next two years. I think that that could be pretty team-friendly for a team, whether it's the Nets or others that sort of look to sign him. For sure. Jack, any last questions for Pete before we get out of here? Uh, now, give us a final season prediction. We've done ours on the outlet. On We're going to be doing it on the buzz further, people. What do you think? Where did the Nets finish in the standings? What do you see as their win total? Uh, and do you see sort of uh, D'Lo being an all-star? What do you sort of think, uh, like the big sort of takeaways from the Nets this season? Um, I think that D'Angelo Russell has a chance to be an all-star. I don't know that he makes it because I think there's a couple other um, players that are a little bit uh, um, higher on. Um, ben Simmons did a Michael last year. Yeah. Yeah. Across the board. Um, I think realistically for um for the Nets as far as finishing um in the standings, I think they're gonna obviously finish. I think Atlanta's gonna be the worst. Orlando's not gonna be any good. The Knicks are gonna struggle without Porzingis. Chicago's gonna kind of struggle with, you know, the the cords they have trying to figure things out there. I think they're gonna be above those teams. Then it's gonna come down to are they going to be better than Charlotte? Are they going to be better than Detroit? Are they going to be better than Cleveland? Those are kind of the teams that I have in the mix yeah. with Brooklyn. And it could fall either way. You know, one of those teams could, you know, Brooklyn could exceed expectations and end up eighth in the East, or they could end up, you know, 11th in the East. Um, I have them kind of, to, to me, I think just based roster-wise, looking at it on paper, um, I think they're going to be in the 10-11 range, um, but that's not anything to shake your head at because that means that it's going to be a, a marginal improvement from the 28 wins last year. I think their their ceiling is around 38-39 wins, but realistically, I'm going to put them right at 34. Yep, all fair. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And Pete, tell everyone where they can find you and find your work. Sure. Um you can find me on Twitter. It's at Pete Toll MBA. So it's P-E-T-E-T-O-A-L-M-B-A. Um, and I co-host the NBA front office show, which is with my buddy, uh, Keith Smith. And then we have our producer slash sometimes co-host, Connorell. Um, You can find the front office uh, podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, a um, couple other podcast platforms that we have as well. Um, you can just search it on Twitter as well. It's at Front Office Show on Twitter. And um, we're always uh, bringing out new content. We deep dive um, into each player on the roster. We go all the way down to the two-way contract guys and go in depth there. So it's kind of unique to um, what anybody else does. And so I, th- I think it you know is a good listen for anybody that wants something different and new. Yeah, really good show. Have you got guys want some deep insight and provide you with even more detail you know on all the teams in the nba which i think is really cool is that it's not only one team specific they literally talk about all 30 teams so it's a great show check that out and as always jack thank you for hopping on Pete. happy to have you on first time for the buzz definitely looking forward to talking to you more and you can check out the show on itunes blog talk radio ogbasketball.com and youtube yeah thank you so much again guys for having me i really enjoyed it and, and look forward to the next time kill it pete Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.